Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do desire to know you because you have given us that desire. We of ourselves do not know you, nor can we find you. But you have sought us. You have sent your Son to seek and to save that which is lost. And so now speak to us through your word, and may we grow in our faith and trust in our Lord and Savior Jesus and all of your promises. In his name, amen. The scripture, you aren't standing, are you? Didn't think so. I was trying to keep track. When were you up and down? The uh, scripture for today is the final words of Jesus from the um, gospel lesson. He says this, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus. Amen. So Jesus is talking about salt. Awesome. Salt is good, Jesus says. You know, we need a certain amount of salt in our diets every day. And if our body doesn't retain the, the moisture, the salt, then we can be in big trouble. And so there is a certain amount that we need to intake in every day in order that our body functions appropriately. However, the amount of that salt that we need every day is, well, it's probably quite a lot less than what I typically like to ingest. Let's just put it that way. And if we overdo it in salt in our diet, some of you well know that that can lead to some issues related to blood pressure or other imbalances and so forth. So Jesus is talking about salt. Salt is good. But then he says this, he says, but if salt has lost its taste, or if it's lost its saltiness, how can it be restored? I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but it puzzles me sometimes to think, well, what is he talking about? I mean, if, if salt loses its salt, it's gone, right? I mean, it's dissolved, it's just whatever. And yet he talks about it as if there's still something there if salt has lost its salt. Do you understand all that? I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with the whole refining process that maybe salt in if you will, ancient times, maybe didn't look as pure and as clean as what we see there. In fact, maybe it looked something more like this, more like, uh, I guess this is called Himalayan salt, but more of a rock salt or something that in addition to the sodium chloride, which is salt, there's other chemicals, other compounds, other substances that were not all taken away and so that something like this, if it loses its sodium chloride, the salt, that there is no value then to whatever is left here. Maybe that explains it, perhaps. But Jesus says either way, if, it lose, if salt loses its taste, it's no good for anything except to be thrown away. So we get an opportunity to consider what it means 
when we know that Jesus tells us that you are the salt of the earth. So if I were to ask you, and I were to say, give me one word that would describe one of the functions of salt, what would you all shout out together? Huh? No, you would have all said it preserves, preserves people. Certainly, I knew it was this guy again. I it's just, do you always sit in the same spot, by the way? Yeah, yeah. That helps a visually impaired guy, by the way. So even if he tries to disguise his voice or something like that. No, we're getting, you're, you're always so far ahead. That's, that's why. So preserves, for, for the, since the beginning of time, salt has been used as a preservative. It sucks out, if you will, the moisture in food that would otherwise serve as a breeding ground for bacteria and things that are going to spoil food. So salt is used for food. It's used to preserve things like hides, leather, and so forth. It's used for all kinds of things that way. Now, the second thing that you would all shout out together in terms of a function of salt is that it purifies. Now you've heard of the phrase pouring salt into a wound. And yes, that would be as painful as it sounds. And that's how we understand that phrase. It's something that maybe somebody who's mean would do to, to pour salt into a wound. But there's a reason that those two words have gone together because salt does serve as an antiseptic of sorts that it can kill the kind of bacteria and so forth that otherwise might cause infection. And now we're getting to your favorite. The third thing that I would uh, invite you to consider as a function of salt, however, we know how important alliteration is, okay? So we've got salt preserves, salt purifies, and so to our food, salt adds... You guys don't know what alliteration is, do you? Pizzazz! Come on, think about it. Pizzazz, it makes our food come alive. It gives it character and, and brings out its natural flavors and other things. So we finally got to yours. So these are what salt does. In our epistle lesson, we come across what I'm calling another kind of salt. Not the kind that is uh, mined under the city of Detroit. By the way, did you know there are 71 trillion tons of salt underneath the area which we know as Detroit and surrounding areas? 71 trillion tons. The Detroit mine uh, that is still functioning uh, harvests, I guess you'd say, or mines about 2 million tons of salt a year. I'm pretty sure that 71 trillion and even 2 million is a little bit more than our daily intake is supposed to be. Um, did you also know that the, the world's largest salt mine, the world's largest, is just across Lake Huron from Harbor Beach in Godrich, Ontario? I never knew. Last night at the 6.30 service, 
people were coming out of church and this one couple said, you know, something about salt and, and so forth. And, and, um, and he said, were you talking about the Godrich? Because I hadn't known how to pronounce the word last night. I just said, in Ontario. And he said, were you talking about the Godrich salt mines? I said, you've heard of it. He said, we live 20 minutes from there. Go figure. He said, no, I've never worked in that mine. That's not for me to go under 1,800 feet below Lake Huron in order to harvest salt. But I want to talk about something that is called Onesimus salt. Yes, it's my term. Onesimus salt is named for that individual you may have caught the reference to in our epistle lesson. Our epistle lesson was almost the whole book of Philemon. We only read it once every three years. It's one of the shortest books in the entire Bible, 25 verses total, but yet we get to hear it today. And so, I don't know where I'm at. These there. There's an image of an artist trying to depict Philemon, the one who Paul wrote the letter to, and the servant, the bond servant, Onesimus. You see, as you may have picked up from reading, and those who study Paul's letters certainly are able to put together that you have the case of Philemon, who was a Christian. Apparently, Paul had, um, he was living in, by the way, Colossae, the book Colossians. And um, most likely, Paul had been the one that had uh, been instrumental in Philemon coming to faith to be a Christian. Well, Philemon had slaves. Now, the moment that we hear the word slave or slavery, we should take a moment to at least put something on the table. First of all, if there is anyone who would make or take the scriptures that mention slavery in the New Testament or Old Testament for that matter, and by which use that to condone or to defend or support the slavery that first comes to perhaps our minds, namely that which has taken place in this country. That would be a gross misunderstanding, misuse, and misinterpretation of God's word. At the same time, it also should be said that if our understanding of the word slavery is only limited to be equated with precisely what took place in this country and in the abominable things that were part of that, that also would be a misunderstanding and misinterpretation of the term in Scripture. There are different forms throughout history. In fact, some would say that the beginning of this third millennia, the beginning of this century that we're living in, the 2000s, that according to some definitions, there you could estimate that there are today some 
20-plus million slaves today. Now, that is not to say that, that there is an understanding about every form of slavery and all of that, but it is to establish the fact that there is a lot that we must understand and try to grow in knowledge. So here in the book of Philemon, the ESV uses the term bondservant. Onesimus was one of Philemon's bondservants. But apparently at some point in his uh, service to Philemon, from a salt perspective, he became useless. Whether he had been a Christian or not, we're not sure, but he lost his usefulness, his taste, as Jesus calls it. He perhaps became lazy. He became disrespectful. It's even understood that he probably defrauded his master, that he stole from him and eventually ran away from him. As providence would have it, namely God's divine providence, Paul, while he was in prison, most likely scholars say in Rome, Onesimus came into his world, if you will, his sphere of influence. And wouldn't you know it, Paul did what Paul had been called by God to do, to proclaim the word of God to anyone and everyone, including Onesimus. And apparently it was through Paul's preaching and teaching and witnessing, even in jail, that Onesimus heard the law and the gospel that are part of God's word. He came to realize of what a sinner he was for the wrongs which he had committed. And he came to repentance. He came to recognize that he was, in fact, useless in every sense of the word to his former or to his master, but also to his Lord. But by God's grace, the Holy Spirit worked in his life so that he was able to confess his sins and then to be able to come to know that he had a Savior, to believe in that Savior, to place his trust in him, and by his power become useful. Now, here's a, a point at which the... Um, I don't, I'm not the, certainly the one who would claim to be a scholar with regards to the biblical languages. That's one of the reasons that we keep having vicars come, because they're in the midst of studying this stuff, or I should say being required to study this stuff at seminary. So if ever I have a question about Greek or Hebrew, hey, vicar, tell me. So it just so happens, though, that this isn't a case where it is, I think, more than interesting that we discover that the word Onesimus in Greek, that name, literally means useful. And so we have here perhaps, as Paul seems to certainly be playing on words as he writes in verse 11 of his letter to Philemon, 
where it says this. Formerly, he was talking about Onesimus. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to me or to you and to me. Useful. Onesimus salt, if you will. Lost its saltiness. He had lost his taste. He had lost his value. He was indeed useless, but God had other plans for him. So now, we know that Jesus has called us to be the salt of the earth. But we hear again these words. Jesus said, if salt has lost its taste, then it is of no use. I don't know about you, but I'm not sure how good of a job I am doing of being the salt of the earth. Remember, we said salt preserves, purifies, and adds pizzazz. Well, I'm not sure that's even true of my own life, much less the world around me, that place in which God has placed me in order to have an influence on those around. I find it challenging enough to preserve, if you will, the integrity of the faith in my own life, much less the integrity of the faith and of obedience to the Lord in the circle of people that I'm with or in the community in which I live or in the internet sphere that I might abide in. I'm supposed to be pure in how I live. I'm supposed to have a way to, to have that, if you will, rub off so that, that others can see the positive example and say, no, this is the way to live. That we should, in fact, not just go along with the prevailing thought or attitudes. And yet, I don't live a pure life in the privacy of my own heart and mind. And yes, we're supposed to add that pizzazz to the world around us to help it see that there's another option. Now, I should mention the word pizzazz, it often makes some certainly think of a big personality, you know, a mover or a shaker as if we are the one that is going to be really um, a leader amongst people such that they're drawn by our character and, and our magnetism and so forth. Not necessarily in this case. The Lord knows our personalities. He knows how he has wired us. And so he gives us the opportunity to add pizzazz to the world in our own way. To indicate to others that, yeah, there is another option. There is another way. There is a way to find great joy and contentment in following what the Lord says. Now, perhaps it's much easier for you 
and thanks be to God for those times that it may be. But if you didn't hear our Old Testament lesson, and if you didn't hear the first part of, Paul, of Jesus' words, I think you would be challenged to realize that it is not so easy to choose the way God wants us to go. It sounds so simple. Moses lays it out to the people all right, people, you're going to go into the promised land. Here's the deal. We've got death and curses over here. We've got life and blessings over here. Which one are you going to choose? Well, how many people are going to say, oh, I'm going to choose death and curses? Of course not. And yet, what do we see in the history of Israel? That's precisely what happened. They started out well-meaning, absolutely, we're going to do what you call us to do, Lord, following your paths. Ah, but as they say, the devil is in the details. Did you hear what Jesus said to you and me as followers? Whoever does not hate father, mother, wife, brother, sister, even his own life. Now, yes, you say, well, what does he mean by hate? Because that's contrary to honoring your parents and so forth and so on. And Jesus would say, I know. That's why you study. That's why you get into the word. That's why you understand. You don't just dismiss it and say, well, he can't mean that because it's an apparent contradiction to me. No. We take every word of scripture and every word of Jesus and say, what does he mean by this? He says, if you don't hate those things, you cannot be my disciple. He says, if you don't renounce everything, you cannot be my disciple. Do you think it's easy to live as a Christian, to be the salt of the earth in this day and age if you do? If you think it's no problem, yeah, we choose life, yes. Then maybe you need to hear Jesus' words and the words of Scripture even more directly pointed to you. Because it ain't that easy. It is not easy to stand up, to be different, to live differently than everyone else who may not be following the Lord. I don't know. If you're like me, you might find yourself as useless that I've lost my taste, my saltiness, the value that God would have me to add to this world. And I deserve to be thrown away. But thanks be to God that just as he did with Onesimus salt, so he continues to do for you and for me. And that is this, that as we deserve to be thrown out and trampled underfoot, God has chosen to throw his own son out and be trampled underfoot. He's chosen to pour salt in his wounds so that his wounds are how we are healed. And we are restored and renewed and washed and cleansed and so now we have the ability to do exactly what he calls us to do. 
And it's not a requirement. It's not a fulfillment of the law. It's not because we have to. Notice these words, the final words of our verse from Philemon. Paul writes, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Isn't that awesome? He gives guidance to Philemon, and he wants him to receive Philemon back no longer as just a bondservant, but as a brother. And that any debt that he would have had, that that should be charged to Paul's account. Well, guess what? God took our debt and he charged it to Jesus' account. And now you and I, as the salt of the earth that God calls us to be, we are now able to do even more than what he says. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.